Okay. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Deep V's for Vendetta. This is the show where we talk about societal turning points. And this week I'm joined by Kevin. Kevin, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing all right. How about you, Josh? I am doing just fine and also dandy. And this week we are back to basics. We're talking about comic books. That is, uh, you know, that's the fun thing to talk about. Comic books, uh, application to our world today, and what better example than The Watchmen, uh, something we are both big fans of. Man, this comic, ugh. like, so I didn't know about it until there was the teaser trailer that they showed in theaters years ago. I believe it had a Smashing Pumpkins song playing throughout it. Um, Probably. They, they had some fun music in, in the movie itself. I'm pretty sure it was Smashing Pumpkins for the first trailer, because the next trailer was uh, a Muse song, uh, Black Hole Sun. But I just remember seeing this trailer and having no idea what this story was. It showed uh, John in the chamber and like his hands start like getting conducted with electricity and he dissolves. <laughs> and I was like, what in the hell is this? And it said Watchmen. And I was still like, I have no idea what this is. This had to be like 2008. So I immediately went out and got myself a copy of it and I read it. It just wasn't what I expected at all. I don't know what I expected. Like this was, you got to remember, this was way before MCU was even a thing at all. So you were still getting like an occasional good superhero movie. Like you had Iron Man and Dark Knight. So seeing a trailer for this, which was clearly a superhero work, but it just felt weird. I don't know how to say it. Like Snyder's aesthetic is very grim and dark. So when you read the comic, it's full of like all these purples and greens and blues. Yeah, it's such a, well, I mean, it's, analog coloring it's such classic coloring techniques yeah it's like a, a decade or two before they're doing digital coloring in comics so that has its own unique feel and then oh, yeah. Snyder, uh, Snyder, Zack Snyder's a, a whole dark aesthetic to that and it um it feels very different from, yeah or uh, anything else either one you consume whether it's the comic or the movie has a very distinct visual style from most other comics just in general so I just remember reading the book and thinking that it was way more intelligent than what I thought it was going to be. Like there was no bar for like smart superhero movies. Like there was the dark Knight, which was kind of just like a, a what if Batman, it wasn't very deep, I would say, but Watchmen is just full of, yeah, I get something different out of it's, it. It's like an Ayn Rand novel as far as depth goes. And it, it feels like a novel reading it too, in, in my opinion, uh, at times. Um, just with the the well, one just the density of the text, but also uh, the how how it's written, how they approach everything, how they jump, uh, you know, jump from scene to scene, and the level of complexity that's brought into it. I mean, what's what what are your thoughts regarding that? Um, <laughs> well, the one thing I wanted to talk about in terms of just things that stand out in contrast to other superhero comics is Rorschach's origin story. So yes. up until you get to the Rorschach chapter, uh, I believe you've read five chapters worth and you get to his chapter and you've seen Rorschach throughout the story be this homeless bum, but you don't know it's him. Like you see Rorschach act and he's definitely an anti-hero. Yeah, he's a short ginger, short ginger with the end is nigh sign and walking, uh, walking back and forth past the, uh, the newsstand 
Um, mm-hmm. you, you don't necessarily know that's him until you see his mask taken off. Yeah. And I don't think you get a flashback of Rorschach. Um, no, you do. Ozymandias talks about a scene where he sees Captain Metropolis is like, map get burned by the comedian and rorschach talks normally back then yeah so you don't thing yeah yeah you don't quite know what's wrong with him but then when you get to his origin story and it's not even seven panels into it when you see what he thinks whenever he sees the rorschach plot when it's a dog's skull split open like i mean if you have the book next to you you open it up you see chapter six you read it and you barely get into the page and this is just what he thinks. And then he immediately lies about it. He's like, Oh, it's a pretty butterfly. And that tells you like, you already know some about him to this point, but at that moment, it's like, all right, there's something deeply wrong with this person. Uh, The abyss gaze is also, I think that's my favorite chapter of the whole book. uh, The one that ends with the, the the Nietzsche quote. Yes. Okay. Um, what does he and, say? Uh, we are alone. There's nothing else. Uh, the the quote or what Rorschach says says. Oh oh, sorry. The quote at the very end of the chapter. Uh, I'm blanking what it is. Uh, I I can pull it up slowly, but uh, you gotta keep talking. Here it um, is. Uh, Battle not with monsters, lest ye become a monster. And if you gaze into the abyss, the abyss gazes also into you. Yeah. Um, there we go. Well, that's a good parallel with the whole uh, Black Freighter story, too. Um, so it really is. His, that quote uh, encompasses his arc. And what's really funny about this chapter is it's one of the most interesting ones of the whole book. But it's also accurate to say it's probably the most filler chapter of the whole story. Like, in terms like, of plot progression, nothing really happens the whole chapter. I think we span two days total. And it doesn't really focus on the main character. Like, in fact, they are the topic. The POV is from the psychologist. Like, you spend all your time through his lens looking at Rorschach. And you get some flashbacks of Rorschach, too. Um, This is something just uh, all all the kind of supporting civilians of New York there, whether it be uh, Cabby and her girlfriend, the newsstand guy and the guy reading comics, or the, uh, the psychiatrist and his wife. Um, and that, uh, I, I like how they filled it out. So I appreciated that they spent that much time showing the, the collapse of the, uh, the psychologist guy. Yeah. How would you rate the film version of this chapter? Um, they, they intentionally didn't spend as much time on the side characters in the movie, but, uh, I, I liked how they, um, I don't know the interview with it being all dark and stuff and uh, cutting to the flashback of uh, Rorschach becoming Rorschach and then uh, coming across the guy who uh, burned the child in the furnace and his dogs. Um, I like how brutal they made it, but it, it didn't, as far as a rating goes compared to the comic book, eh, six, seven out of ten. Yeah. I think you're right in terms of you're talking about how they couldn't spend as much time on the side characters. And I would say if we're going to talk kind of generally about the two different interpretations of the same story, that's Watchmen's like real strength. When you read the book, it's very much a world because every chapter ends with some sort of flavor text, whether it's just like stats 
or a newspaper article or an interview. And also in between like plot events, you get to see uh, Tales of the Black Freighter. You see like the street characters in New York. There's just, um, I think there's a lesbian couple that's like having a domestic. Um, yeah, it's, it's the the prissy top knot girl and yes. the, uh, the cabbie girl. Right. Um, there's just so much more depth to the world of the comic as opposed to the movie. But the movie is still good if you just want to get like the plot. And you don't really want to take any of that in. And I still think the ultimate cut does a good job of mostly converting that to a film. Yeah. And so to me, the movie is kind of just bringing these classic, uh, classic emotional scenes to life. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, seeing that on the screen, seeing it acted out, seeing cool action with music and like uh, the opening montage with Bob Dylan's times, they are a change and all that, all that stuff just to uh, give, give a bit more life, a bit more pep to it. Um, but sure. I want to address what you were saying with, the world of the Watchmen. I think I think we should take a step back now and look at what's going on in the world of Watchmen. Uh, I think what it's it's 1985 uh, Halloween in like the I think the story spans from like October 30th to November 2nd or something, right? Yeah, I think it leads up to the I don't want to say like the V for Vendetta day whatnot, but it seems to hover <laughs> around the early part of Guy Fox Day. Is that what it's called? Um. It, Maybe no. I, well, it's Halloween. Um, but well, I just thought Fox... uh, Doomsday occurred in November. Is that when it happens? Yeah, it, it occurs. I think midnight November first. Oh, so, yeah, November fourth is that Guy Fox Day. So okay, uh, that's, remember, November remember the fifth of November. That's I couldn't remember which story came first. If it was V for Vendetta or Watchmen, but either way, the fact that like uh, the apocalypse happens around November, I just probably yes. totally coincidental but um it's the, it's the main of alan moore um so let's uh yeah let's look at what's happening in the world 1985 november uh i believe it's the um it's october the, like, 12th okay thank you um the third term of president nixon or like the, the fictional third term of president nixon or something is that a i think that's how it it's set up in the story um that's some sci-fi technologies going on uh but also it's still the eighties and still has that whole aesthetic and that whole, uh, world and living situation. Um, you have, uh, Vate or Vite and, um, uh, Dr. Manhattan working on, uh, is it, is it explained in the comic they're working on a rene- renewable energy thing? Or is that just in the movie that they, they, um, kind of expound upon that? I think it's explained in the comic. Uh, do they also mention that they have annexed Vietnam in the very beginning, or does that happen later on in the comedian flashback? Oh, is that officially what happens? Cause they, they explain like winning Viet- the Vietnam war. And I, I, I just didn't, okay. I didn't process. That's what happened. Um, cool. Yeah. I, guess. I thought Vietnam became like the 51st state. I must've just missed that completely. Oh goodness gracious. Um, okay. <laughs> let's, let's, let's go with that. That uh, might have yeah, been a there's... TV show thing, which we can talk about the TV show later because that they definitely get into. Um... But effectively, it is an alternate reality, an alternate history where uh, the comedian and Doctor Manhattan are war heroes from Vietnam as well, and there's just uh, enough differences um, there. Uh, but it, there's also the Cold War. The Cold War is about at the same point where it was in in real life, where there's a. Uh, uh, you know, it's Russia and the U.S. nuclear armaments. Uh, they have their doomsday clock, and they're five, four, three, two, one minutes to midnight. And yeah. um, they they're at the 
brink of World War III and possibly the nuclear winter and the destruction of the world. And uh, I guess I'll say, while we're recording this, um, what was it, a week ago that uh, in the last few weeks, we've had a bunch of uh, uh, not necessarily World War, III, World War III scares, but uh, a bunch of um, hype about that with conflicts with Iran. Uh, yeah, conflicts with Iran and uh missiles back well missiles from them and uh us assassinating yeah. their their general and uh yeah so world war three cold war nixon um what what is uh wh what is your impression of the world they're in and uh kind of the general themes or uh takeaways from that uh environment so i think that it's it's obviously a more tense version of what we have now. I think a lot of people would say that Reagan helped to kind of de-escalate the tensions between Russia and uh, the United States. It wasn't perfect. I don't think anybody would claim that, but it wasn't uh, completely dystopian level. Uh, I, I think it was under Reagan when they tore down the Berlin Wall. Is that right? Uh, Berlin Wall was... Uh... Because doesn't he say Mr. Gorbachev tear down that wall? Yes, that's it. Uh, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Like the, the Reagan kissing. Gor was that Reagan? What's the, the kissing uh, uh, painting on the wall? I think it was the Reagan and Kissinger. But I think. I think it's 89 or something. Yeah, uh, Nixon yes. is. Nixon isn't always viewed very favorably. And I think at least in uh by a lot of people now in retrospect, I think he did. <laughs> so he was great um, in Futurama. Yeah. And so I think the idea of keeping Nixon in office three terms, you know, people already have an idea in their head of Nixon being like a corrupt leader and probably not being the best for America. So to set him up as a three term president implies that he got away with what he got away with. You know what I mean? Like yes. he kept so doing what he Watergate, wanted to do. It, yes. That Watergate never happened effectively. And the fact that he has a third term, you know, because that, that he changed we, the constant or yeah, yes, has some amendment or something to where he can have a third term. That he was so successful in doing exactly what he wanted that he got to overturn the idea of no, two terms is the max you can do. Well, Nixon's in his third term, and we're still not on good terms with Russia. So it's basically a worse version of the Cold War at that time. Like we were heading towards crisis in this version of Watchmen. Uh, and yes. I think it's a really interesting angle to look at the Cold War because um, it was definitely on everyone's mind back then. Like the Cold War was the number one thing that people were thinking about, like in terms of what's the main headline, what's the main news. The Cold War was bar none the most talked about thing in terms of like politics. Like you want to talk about number one political issues, Russia, the Cold War. So I think that's a really good uh, backdrop to put in for Watchmen. Like, what if it was just worse? I think is kind of how Watchmen starts off. What do you think? Yeah, uh, I I agree with that. I think it. Uh, I of course didn't grow up during the Cold War, so I don't. I don't. Right. It, I I guess I haven't consumed a ton of media that uh, uh really highlights it as much as the Watchmen does. Um, so I don't. Um, I figure it's a slight, uh, slight exaggeration. Like you're saying, uh, tensions are slightly higher than they were in real life. But um, yeah. that's, uh, I, I think it is a great backdrop. And uh, I, I'm wondering, putting superheroes in that world, uh, I guess vigilantism then illegal with the the, the 1977 Keen Act. Um, yes. 
putting superheroes in a world uh, in a approaching a doomsday approaching a world war three a tensor cold war what does it mean if there are larger than life heroes in that world what are did that change anything for you reading it or uh, in that environment well it's weird because superheroes are kind of like a dumb idea when you talk about them regularly it's like oh yeah it's a guy that goes out and does like crime fighting like it just sounds stupid but then when you describe a cop to somebody it doesn't sound totally ridiculous so i feel like I feel like superheroes are just kind of like a proactive police officer, whereas the cop's job is to enforce the law. Like they're not supposed to stop a crime in progress. Like I think there was a Supreme court case that decided like it is not the police. uh, It's not the police's responsibility to stop a crime. It's only the police's responsibility to react to it after it is completed. So the idea that superheroes go out and can stop you and like beat the crap out of you, it, (laughs) <laughs> it somehow just fits in this world where Nixon is running for a fourth term after his third term. And we're already at such ends with Russia. Um, and I like that no superhero has like a power except for Dr. Manhattan, whereas everybody's just a regular guy. And then there's God, which is interesting yeah. in that there's no in between. It's just people. And what if one punch man, was a guy so <laughs> so you, i, I want to actually think about that what do you think about the superheroes there's um there's a lot they address with having superheroes in that world and i think one aspect of it is that despite them being larger than life despite them having a uh, you know literal god on their side they're still powerless against whatever's happening against a, a vice scheme against world war three against nuclear winter they're still powerless <laughs> Uh, against all of that they don't know that's what's going to happen they can't necessarily prevent it uh so that's you know, that's ultimately how the story ends too where they they weren't able to prevent it and uh john kills um uh rorschach and like no one no one knows uh, well i guess there's the uh you know the journal um rorschach's journal god, i love the ending of the book oh god that's such a great such a great ending and i I want to talk a little bit about how that transitions into uh, Doomsday Clock. Um, so Doomsday Clock is a comic uh, by, um, what is it, Gary Frank and, uh, what's his name? The guy who did Batman Year One. Uh, I'll, I'll look at him in a second. But um, I will rely if, on your knowledge for this because I know nothing of Doomsday. It is uh, uh, Jeff Johns. That's it. Um, and Yeah, Jeff Johns and Gary Frank. Um, so I, I believe they're the same team from... Uh, uh, Batman Year One, whatever. Uh, it is a sequel to The Watchmen, and they address. So it happens after that. It happens after everyone finds out about fight, and he's uh, in hiding after his shame, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, one of the thing, the thing I want to talk about is that they address very directly how um, each of uh, four of the main uh, Watchmen heroes are analogs to DC Comics heroes. So okay. we have. Uh, so so how they portray it and i i agree with how they portray it is that uh dr manhattan is superman adrian veidt is lex luthor uh rorschach is batman and um the comedian is the joker um hmm. for, firstly what are your thoughts on on that or have you were you aware of that those those parallels um i was not that before okay um well i knew I knew that originally Alan Moore wanted to write using DC characters, uh, but he later 
said, oh, whatever, I'll make my own. Um, is that where that comes from? Possibly. Um, I, I know most of the, the Watchmen heroes were, at least had a lot of inspiration from DC heroes, but um, I think a lot of it too is putting those heroes in the real world where Batman, uh, you know, it's Batman to the extreme is Rorschach, where uh, he, he doesn't have powers. He's he's even like a, you know, a short guy but he never compromises and he also has his little gadgets and he's always detectiving and all that. Yeah. Um, or, or with, uh, uh, Dr. Manhattan being Superman where, um, he has all of these powers, but he is foreign to, to the earth, uh, foreign to humanity. And what if Superman didn't have the, uh, the, the compassionate raising of, um, Mon Pa Kent to where, he he has that affinity for humanity that is john osterman yes um yeah so i i think uh whether or not he wanted to use dc heroes um he he definitely drew from them to uh kind of portray caricatures or exaggerations of them uh, that told uh told a di well i guess told a a different story hmm. I okay um do, well, do you think that it could have worked with, like, uh, the Batman and the Joker and all that? Like, do you think it would have been as successful if it was borrowing from DC characters? Um, maybe, actually. Or or they could have told a very similar story borrowing, uh, actually using DC characters. Because, I, um, well, there's the whole Batman doesn't kill people uh, mantra or a yeah. rule um, right there. That uh, of course Rorschach breaks, but uh, there there have been a lot of instances where Batman is uh, overly violent, goes overboard. With a recently there was Batman White Knight series where um, uh, I Batman love the just, name of that. <laughs> it's no no it's it's, it's clever. So the the White Knight it's uh you know of course White Knight, but it's also referring to uh, <laughs> to Joker who gets um uh, the premise of the story Joker gets some uh, uh, he's able to get some treatments where he um is temporarily not insane he runs for public office and everyone loves him and he's like making the city a better place and batman apparently has lost his way and is just too brutal or has causes too much destruction in his wake or some corruption or something something um and there's the dynamic there where bat we we find out batman ultimately still is the hero but uh mm -hmm. there is a portrayal of batman where he is too brutal and um i think that would that portrayal of batman would work pretty well as a rorschach character and uh hmm. it's a flashpoint paradox where there's an alternate timeline where uh superman is captured by the government or something and he's uh effectively he's not raised by mon pocket and he doesn't have that affinity for humanity that could be john osterman and i think there are and I'm, I'm sure there are versions too where uh yeah the joker's like allied with heroes at some point or uh, uh lex luthor's allied to the heroes at some point so um i guess what was it uh uh do do kingdom come kingdom come uh that, that's one where luthor is temporarily allied with batman but then we find out he's e still evil of course um so i think there are enough like elseworlds portrayals of the heroes to where they could work in the watchmen but i don't think that's quite the story that alan moore is telling i think he's giving more of a a commentary on the superhero genre uh in total that um that that drew better from having a uh, you know new characters and uh, well, a more real world What's interesting about all the superheroes, even the Minutemen, they all just feel like just like guys. 
You know, there's nothing super about any of them. Even the coolest one, the one people like the most, uh, Rorschach, is just a guy wearing a trench coat with a rag over his face. And everybody says he smells like he's disgusting. Yeah, really. And so none of them are really very flashy, I guess I would say, is that they just all feel so plain. And I think you would have lost that effect if you had used, like, DC IP. Like, if you had, I guess you could have changed, like, the style on all of them to look, you know, a bit more plain. But I think it really helps having these totally original characters. And uh, what's that? Hooded Justice is literally just, like, a jumpsuit with underwear over it and a noose and a cape. Like yeah, very... he clearly didn't have a PR guy that had him update. That, he clearly had no one to have him update his costume after he made it big. <laughs> yeah, no. So I, I really like that. I like kind of the uh, homebrew feel that Watchmen has to it. Yes. Um, I also want to ask you, uh, regarding the characters not being flashy, not being these uh, over-the-top characters, I, th- I think that especially ends up being the case with uh, uh, Dan Dryberg and Laurie Juspecic, uh the... Um, Night Owl and Silk Spectre too. Yeah, uh, where I guess in general, what's your opinion of their role in the story? What, where do you think they fit into the story? What, what do you think they're, what they do in the story? What do you think they do in the story? Well, so I want to preface by saying I think Watchmen is an overall cynical story. I don't think it is a positive one. Uh, of course. Well, so I have a question about that in a minute, but okay. Yeah. Well, so Laurie and. Uh, Dan are both kind of has-beens and how many (laughs) how many superhero stories do you read that contain the impotence of a man like god that's brutal (laughs) yeah Yeah. it's just so humiliating and I think even when it's happening there's stuff on the tv that's like oh and he's gone like it's oh yeah i love those those parallels i think it's happening in the background yeah 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 like (laughs) and he's down a perfect dismount and he's just like i'm sorry i wasn't good enough and she's she's having to consult him like it's okay like don't worry about it and so up until this point in the story like Dan has been talked to by Rorschach about having he needs to contribute, like superheroes are dying. There was an assassination attempt, and he's just like, go away. I don't have time for this. And so he's thinking about all the things that are happening, and then he fails to bone Laurie. And the first immediate dream he has is him trying to have sex and then putting on superhero clothes, and then they they're dead. So I guess it's just kind of like a just a very grim overview of just like feeling powerless in a world where you have like no say and he wants to have a say. And so that's why they go to the prison and bust Rorschach out. But then it it doesn't mean anything in the end because they lose because no matter what they could have done by the time they get there to do anything, it was already done before they ever showed up. So I, that's why I think it's kind of, that's why I think it's like an overall cynical story. That, that's a great just... line. It was it was done before they ever showed up, and that so... kind of describes the second wave, the the crime busters to the Minutemen. It was done before they ever showed up. So what do they do now? And that's the story of the Watchmen. Yeah, I think even when the story begins, like there's nothing they could have done because Vite is already so very far ahead of them. And even if they had caught wind, they would have just been killed. It wouldn't have mattered, like because if they die. 
it doesn't really matter. And nobody cares what's happening at all with any of these superheroes. So I just think from the yeah, outset, they're in their own little game off to the side. Yeah. From the very beginning, you lost. So that's that's another way to think about Watchmen being an overall bleak story, in my opinion. Yeah. And and there are countless instances in which it is bleak and cynical, but uh, it has a lot of instances where it shows where it's trying to show things about humanity. And I think there's uh, one of those things is how people come together at the very end. That's so, true. Uh, I want to point out a couple instances where there's the, uh, the black freighter writer guy and the Indian artist lady on, on the boat before it explodes. They embrace each other. Yeah. And he's like, uh, don't worry about it, honey. Just hold me. And then, they're gone. Like, yes. There's uh there's Dan and Lori uh after they're defeated by Vate and are just spending the night there or something, uh how they, they embrace each other. And then there's the uh the uh newspaper salesman and the guy reading the kid reading the comic book. And when everything's exploding and it's all white light in the background, they embrace each other. And yeah. I uh I'm wondering what you think about that and what, what Watchman's trying to say about the humanity and say about the world with statements like that, as opposed to everything else bleak and cynical that's, uh, that's portrayed in this, in this world. Well, um, first of all, I feel like it's a nice parallel to a stronger loving world. Um, like right before that chapter happens, when everything's blowing up, uh, you get the newspaper guy and the boy like hugging, like at the very end, or yes. I, I just, I think that goes back to what you said, like everybody comes together in the end and there's a lot of other media you can watch nowadays, like the end of the effing world or stuff like that, where people like when they know it's almost over, they get way more sentimental, I think than they ever do. And when it's not the end of the world, people just don't really care as much. Like they care about their own business way more than anything else. And you can see that back in the chapter with Rorschach's origin, where the psychologist uh, doesn't have sex with his wife and his wife is like, Hey, stop paying attention to your thing. And he's like, I have to pay attention to this. Like it's a groundbreaking case. So uh, I think uh, everybody really is kind of absolved in their own world, but when disaster strikes, like that's when they come together I kind of like what you were saying, but what what do you think? Uh, I think it says yeah, pretty much that, and it's uh, I don't know, I I didn't I didn't uh, think about or read into it as much. I, to me, it's just a little bit of humanity or a little bit of uh, uh, showing that people come together at the end. People are are uh, good in community and whole at the end, and that's um that's that. But I'm also looking at it in contrast to everything else in the story as well as a I was thinking of a specific example um when um. Uh, Dan and Laurie bring out uh, bring out Archie to save uh, save people from the tenement fire. How when they're saving people, they're horribly ungrateful and uh, just yeah. like complaining about every little thing as they're walking up the the little the little walkway to get onto the, <laughs> onto the ship. Um, and yeah. that's you know that could have been the end for them. They were uh, you know the the twentieth twentieth story of a building on fire, tenement housing, uh, no way of getting out. Um, that w that was pretty much their end, and they didn't really come together. Uh, do 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 you think that's saying anything, or that's really a, a you know adding on to what Alan Moore's trying to say with the story, or if that's just kind of another instance of uh, the the bleak world or the failings of uh, or how superheroes are irrelevant or the failings of Dan Dryberg? Um, what what are your thoughts on on that scene? Um, yeah, I think it's. Uh... 
like Alan Moore is a weird guy. Uh, if you read any of his stories, they're all bitter sweet. Like it's so there's <laughs> there's always way more just kind of like the glass is half empty. I could pour a little bit more in there, but meh. So I I feel like overall it's probably just more of a bleak. I, I just I always want to lean into it being bleak. Like I know that they kind of get their happy ending where they get to off these like fake identities away from everybody else and yeah, they're uh, happily ever after together yeah and new york is like peaceful now but you know that peace can e- easily be disrupted by a fat guy with a burger like <laughs> <laughs> you like that like where he's just bite is so perfectly calculated like you can see him explain for basically two whole chapters how it's such a great idea and it's gonna work and the very ending is just this fat guy who could just easily ruin everything he's got he's got the diary and that, that's what happens at doomsday clock he does ruin everything invite uh you know goes down in in shame um yeah. so that's uh that's that's ultimately what uh at least some some authors have projected to happen um and that's uh what, what do you think about Vite's whole scheme to begin with um it is the uh at least in the book it's the wackiest thing ever he comes up with some effectively he comes up with an alien threat to uh, convince America and Russia that there's something, uh, some greater power out there that they should be afraid of. Um, let's talk about that, and then we'll then we'll address how the movie ends things. And I, I, I want to hear what you think about that. But for what, what do you think about Veidt's plan in the book? And do you think it would work in a in a real world scenario? I think it works all the time in real world scenarios. I think there's probably all sorts of boogeymen. They get rounded up and projected onto our screens and onto our phones that we're supposed to be angry at, and it pulls us together. Um, for example, like China is the one thing that uh, I think unites both Republicans and Democrats in America. Like there was that bill that Congress signed, I think almost unanimously, like left and right. It was like making it to where the United States would no longer send them supplies that would have anything to do with riots. And there was another thing about it that was like pro Hong oh, Kong. Okay. That's great. I hadn't, I hadn't heard about that. that that's yeah. Great. And I think, uh, I think there's all sorts of things that a boogeyman will come up and it, it puts, it makes everyone put down like their weapons and like kind of come together. Like, uh, here's a much sillier example, but do you remember years ago, there was this channel on YouTube called the fine bros, I think, where they would post yeah, the, fine, like, the fine bros react. Them? Yes. Do you remember React World? I've heard of it. I, I I'd never watched it actually, though. Okay. Well, you've never watched it because it never existed. But what it was was oh, they had okay. they had this Go channel. <laughs> they had this channel where they would just post like kids react to or seniors react to or elders react to, same thing. But they finally were like, you know what? Let's make our own like website where people can upload their reactions to things we'll call it react world and we're copywriting the word like reaction video and it's now going to be our thing they were trying to copyright just people having an opinion on things and everybody hated them for it like unanimously people came together and just like all right this is stupid so i think i think a boogeyman will always work but it doesn't work for very long uh i think that's kind of the flaw that even on a grand global scale like fights plan it's only temporary 
So I think what Vite should have addressed is the idea of a recurring uh, global threat. That was the one thing that I wish he had uh, kind of brought up. And I think John Osterman brings it up when he's like, when Vite says, hey, but in the end, did I do the right thing? And he's like, in the end, nothing ever ends, Adrian. Like, I think that's the perfect, uh, like, comeback to Vite's plan is like, just so you know, like, this isn't going to work forever. Like, you're going to have to do something else. And you can see Vite's look at the very end when he's like, uh, yeah, I love, I love that Vite, in all of his triumph, he loses too. And he's plagued by those insecurities that he knows it's not the perfect solution. He knows it's <laughs> yeah. not going to work out. <laughs> yeah, because of course it's not going to work out. Like people can't even argue, can't agree on whether or not a dress is like gold or blue. Like we're, <laughs> we're gonna find a way to kill each other. So a big alien's not gonna do it. What What uh, do you think about something like a 1984 or uh, the movie The Skycrawlers, where there's a fake endless war and propaganda there? So there is uh, always a boogeyman, uh, and there's uh, some literal war that they're sending people off to fight in for no reason. Um, so that they they you know maintain that um appreciation of protection or whatever uh what what do you think about that solution um yeah i think war is very profitable <laughs> i think <laughs> i think nationalism is very profitable too if you can get people to rally behind something like yeah absolutely that it's 100 percent a way to sustain it although I think you'll find nowadays that people don't declare war. Like it used to be kind of like a thing where wars were very clearly like defined, but nowadays yes. it's not profitable to say, I declare war with blur. I think a lot of things happen via proxy. The U S hasn't uh, declared war since was it Korea? Did we declare war or world war two? Was... Uh, I think it was Korea. Okay. I, th um, I think so as well. Let's stick with that. <laughs> but I, I think it's just not profitable to say, I'm going to war with you. Because uh, I, I think people like to tread a fine, like, gray area. So that's why that's why you see a lot of things like Iran attacks the U.S., U.S. attacks Iran, so-and-so bombs Afghanistan. But it's never, like, a war. It's just, we did a thing. And then they did yeah. a thing. And then we stopped doing things. You know? It's, um, it's like the final scene in the, the Frontiersman office in, in The Watchmen, where when there's not war, when there's peace, they don't have anything to write, ab write about. And when there is conflict, they have constant sensationalized news that will, uh, you know, keep people reading, keep people divided, uh, keep the Frontiersman versus what are the news, the, the magazine Roth wrote, uh, the, the right versus the left. Um, there, there's always that, you know, sensationalism and something to talk about uh, and when they're out of that, out of that conflict. Um, yeah, it's not, it's not profitable. So we talked about some politics nowadays. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about what would your idea of Watchmen nowadays be? Oh, goodness. What a modern Watchmen would be. Um, like we could talk about what you think would a modern Watchmen would be, what I think it would be. And then I'll tell you the TV creator's idea in creating modern Watchmen. Cause I don't think you know <laughs> it yet, but it's no, I've, I haven't seen it. Yeah. Okay. All right. So what do you think? Modern Watchmen? How do you do it? Um, I, I honestly imagine it a relatively or not a, not too different of story, except 
instead of the second focusing on the second generation of heroes focusing on the third generation of heroes which is the millennials the millennials being so goddamn disenfranchised and whatever the hell they they have in this world don't have complain about work for for and don't have uh i i think the millennials make great disenfranchised <laughs> has been uh third generation superheroes millennial so, men yeah it's millennial men <laughs> the uh it's it's uh what the the they just all their um what corporate team cor- corporate team of superheroes uh sponsored by Vite with the uh, the Cologne Millennium they are the Millennial Men and <laughs> uh, um that's I'm I'm just imagining a third generation of superhero that superhero that's even more distanced from the original intent from the real uh whatever and some of them are going to be be extremely um which uh commercialized like like in a like in the boys um. Uh, like in Garth Ennis's The Boy, The Boys, uh, depiction like that, where they're yeah commercialized. Some of them are just going to be, um, I don't know. It's, it'll be like the second generation Watchmen again, where they, they don't know what they're doing. Uh, they don't know. They don't feel like they're making any difference. All the all the villains, the costume villains are gone. So it feels very silly to have heroes in costumes going out. And uh, that, that's what I see a, a modern Watchmen being, just a, a ten times disenfranchised version of uh, second generation Watchmen in the third generation. Now. Yeah. Firstly, what are your thoughts? And then tell me about the, the HBO series. So I think it's a really good idea. Uh, I hadn't even thought about the superheroes uh, when I thought about the story. But yeah, I think you're right in that every generation that uh, proceeds the previous one is less of what the old one was. Like, obviously, you still retain some ideas. But I think you'll find that over time, like tradition just changes and it's not the same. Things are done slightly different. And with something like, you know, superheroes, like the next generation of superheroes, that's, that's going to be radically different each time. And I think you'll find, like you said, very like isolated, disenfranchised, just zoomers, like honestly. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't... I don't know anything about this. I, I don't know what the Zoomers think. So that's why I always go to millennials. Cause that's, <laughs> that's why I am. That's I can, I can relate to that. Zoomers. I don't know what their generation is going to be like, or what their issues are going to be. Dude, or, I think they're going to be centrist. Honestly. I think a lot of them are going to be weird centrist because you're plagued with the internet where people are so polarized left or right. Uh, even like hard libertarian, right. Or hard, like socialist left. There's just so many like very radical stances, and I think you're going to see a wave of people just saying, "Ugh!" Like they're going to be very down the middle and try to compromise as much as possible. Maybe uh, I, I, I kind of see. Um, I, I'm thinking of one example, of, like reser- return to tradition. Uh, return to tradition with um, yeah, Nick Fuentes. Nick Fuentes is a Zoomer, right? He's like 21. Um, oh yeah, he's very he's, young. Yeah, yeah, but uh, he's. Is the term tradcon, or would that be like his whole uh, traditional conservatism, conservatism uh, agenda? Is that like that? He's definitely call it? Catholic, and I think that would fall under yeah, traditional okay. conservatism. Okay, um, so I, I think tradcon is. Uh, there's going to be more of movement there. Um, okay, but I, I I really have no idea. I'm I'm come. I have one anecdotal example, so uh, it could be centrist. It could be more radicalized. Whatever. Uh, let's go back to to what your modern watchman is. So what I talked about earlier with Watchmen being like a great book to come out when it did, because like everybody was dealing with the Cold War and it was like, it's just such a relevant book. And 
another thing that made it so great to read, I'm sure for back then, because I obviously wasn't in my 20s or early 30s when Watchmen came out. But these people have been growing up reading comics just like day in and day out. Like they know how a comic typically goes. And then this came along like this was just so different and so odd. Like like I said earlier, um, uh, Dave Gibbons, the colorist and the artist for Watchmen, was advised Mm -hmm. not to do a red, blue, yellow color palette, but rather a green, purple and orange so it was a very like that's why it looks so weird yeah it was a very atypical color palette the paneling was very symmetrical and sometimes yeah you should open up the book at any given page not read it but just look at it visually from like the left page to the right page how often things line up or like there's just patterns i don't have a digital copy i read it on my ipad so i uh i guess wait i can't do that sorry i can just put it horizontal and look at uh pages let me me oh yeah um but like any there's so many good instances where you can see that it's just it's a very well-made book and all that coming together with a great setting of it being the cold war and it's even worse than you could have imagined and i think back in the 80s especially back then when there was no internet and your news was just the tv and the newspapers so back then there was I guess you could say a main story going on, you know, like there was, this is the number one, what is on everybody's mind at the time, like story arc, I guess you could say. And the cold war was absolutely it. Yeah. You you and I run in relatively similar circles, but if we try to talk news with each other, what stories we hear about are like in the front of our minds, I'm sure we'll come with like, maybe have two overlapping things out of 20. And that's exactly what I was going to talk about. Was we, if you want to make a modern Watchmen, that's tough because there is no main story. Because you go online and you click, I like this thing, I like that thing. I don't like this thing, but I do like that thing. I hate this thing and I love this thing. You do this and every social media website will then create a perfectly curated stream of information and stories and biases or biases uh so it's very hard for someone to to go up to someone and say hey what do you think the number one problem is they'll go whoa and they'll just give you a whole laundry list of all different things or even if you ask what is the number one political like story going on right now so many radical different answers will come up so what do you do for a watchman nowadays i think the only thing you could do that would singularly unite everybody is to talk about the information age and how that affects your day-to-day life because that would be the one thing you could talk about and every person would go oh yeah this internet thing like these social media apps they really do infect my life and that would give you a chance to step back and think i don't know how you would convert that in terms of like a fun plot but I think that would be what you have to tackle. It's just like the age of information and deception. Uh, and so with that being said, the going fake into... Musician. <laughs> He's the great, yeah. great villain, the fake musician. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Donald Trump. But the, the way the TV show decided to go about Watchmen, uh, what's his name? The guy who did Lost. Oh, I don't man. know. I don't remember his name. I'll, I'll uh, look it up. You, you keep talking. So this guy that was in charge of Lost, Damon Lindelof, he said, you know, the Cold War was the number one political.
issue in the 1980s, which I would agree, it was probably the top of everyone's list. And so, you know, with that being said, the number one political issue nowadays is racism. And I was like, well, um, is it though? I don't know. I don't feel like it is. (laughs) So that's already a problem with it is that you could pick so many different topics to go over for Watchmen. Like, I think the number one issue is, uh, you know, birth control. Well, I don't, I don't know, man. Like, I really don't know about that. I think the number one issue is sex. Trans rights. Trans uh, yeah, rights. Sexism. The Me Too movement. Me Too uh, movement. Like, dude, men's it's, so, rights. <laughs> it's so polarized. So I think the only way you could do a Watchmen story in which you look at something that affects everyone is the age of information and how that directly influences our day-to-day lives. Now, through that, you could probably tackle all sorts of tiny issues like throughout uh, the story, but overall, the main uh, backdrop would have to be how technology affects us. So, okay. And does uh, this uh, does this also lead to World War Three, or rather, is there some? What is yes. the impending doom that the age of information is bringing about, or that everyone is predicting from it? Yeah, I said in our group chat earlier. I don't know if you saw. Uh, someone was talking about. He's like, man, I really hate how critics like are way more political nowadays. And I was like, they've always yeah. been political. Worse now <laughs> because the internet makes us want to kill each other. Like it really <laughs> makes us just want to kill each other. It's so such like it does so many good things for us but it's also awful because we're using it and we hate each other and i think that's a more interesting story than just racism not to say that racism is like not an issue for some people because it absolutely is globally for many different reasons and many different races being a mixed race growing up in asian country you'll get bullied relentlessly being uh being black in georgia is probably like in certain parts of georgia or arkansas like is just a very very uncomfortable thing but it being the focus of watchmen is just so weird and i don't know like i don't think of racism when i think of watchmen i think of like a problem that is hitting everybody but the show creator for watchmen said racism was it and it is a very race-focused show. Um, you see the backstory of Hooded Justice and how he goes through uh, prejudice and racism in the 1930s, 40s? can't remember when his time period happens. Um, uh, I, think, I think it's the 30s, 40s, and he retires in like mid-50s or something. Or Yeah, uh, yeah. He might disappear in the 50s, 60s. Uh, but I think there there is something in the original comic about... Uh, um, some accusations of uh, communism or uh, Russian alliance or so, some some political incorrectness Which... <laughs> or something. <laughs> Which is what I wanted to talk about. Uh, sorry for people planning on watching the show, but spoiler alert for this. Um, Hooded Justice is a black man. And in the show, his costume comes from him being a bad... Is a lynching thing? <laughs> yes. Oh, Jesus uh, Christ. He's so, the, the real-life Jesse Smollett. <laughs> yeah, except what, it's actually what happened to him. Uh, actually, oh, so now like I, the story is he survived a lynching or survived being yes, hanged? Yes, what? he survived being what? hanged. Rather, they're about to lynch him, but then they cut the rope. And you better watch your... Oh, uh, that word. 
and then they leave and then he's like i can't believe this almost happened to me oh man that was awful i, you I didn't mean to rick and morty your podcast uh, <laughs> oh i can't believe this is so awful i can't believe that happened to me and then um you can cut that burp out but he he then goes and is walking home and he still is wearing the the noose around his neck and he's holding like the black bag that they put over his head with the little yeah. eye holes on it and he sees a black man getting beaten up and he just goes <clears throat> and puts it back on his head ties the noose tighter and then goes and just beats up white people like beats them apart and then he goes home to his wife and his wife's like hell yeah you should do that every day because he, <laughs> because he's also a police officer and he joins the police force and uh, he's getting discriminated pretty heavily. So he thinks he's going to be a real cop by being a superhero at night. And okay, you know, that, that's honestly an interesting story, I think. Right? It is I don't an think interesting that, story. Like, I don't think it's a bad. Uh, no, bad no, intro I, to I, the character or back. I think to the it's character. totally interesting. It's a good episode, but like the rest of the story is just it's okay. And honestly, the way they handle Doctor Manhattan is just so weird that I, I we don't have time to get into it, but. Basically, it starts off a story being about race because it takes place in the deep south of Tulsa, Oklahoma, and how there are a group of people called, uh, shoot, there are people that know. follow Rorschach, and they wear like the Rorschach mask. And the the bots. Uh, that's, that's what I'm calling <laughs> the them, the bots. <laughs> that's a good name, Rorschach. <laughs> Uh, group TV. I'm just gonna look that up real quick. Okay. Um, what are they called? Everybody is talking about the group, but they're not saying the name, and that's driving me insane. God damn it! <laughs> so to, okay, whatever. <laughs> but basically, they're a group that takes uh, that takes after Rorschach's teachings to a white supremacist angle, and. Huh? Huh? Yeah. Huh. I don't yeah. know what I think about that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Rorschach wasn't exactly like the most probably moral character in the story, but I never was reading this guy's a white supremacist. So it's interesting that a bunch of uh, racist hicks from the South end up taking all of his teachings and becoming white supremacists. But the show is kind of cringy. Like, they say a lot of really goofy things where the police chief's like, how do you know that guy's a racist? And she's like, because I got a nose for white supremacy. and He smells like bleach. And I was like, uh, huh, huh. And huh. I give you again the triple huh. And as I was watching the show, I'm like, maybe the con thought. And I went back and reread it. I was like, no, I'm stupid. This show is just kind of weird. So I, I would encourage people who read the book to watch the show. Uh, I'm not saying the show is good, but I think it's an interesting show to watch to see a very well-made show, but one that I think isn't quite up to the same level as the book. So especially the way they handle Dr. Manhattan. We, that's just, man. We'll talk about that off air. Um, yeah. That's, uh, I'm, I'm interested now. Um, okay, I want to go back a, go back a moment, do a, a uh, rapid-fire tangent. Um, back to uh, Twitter and everyone hating each other. Um, Boogaloo, yay or nay? Uh, yay? 
if I think what we're talking about is the same thing for Boogaloo, like uh, what's, what's rising up against the government, is that what that means? I have a friend yeah. that's very, uh, very, very libertarian, and anytime he talks about Boogaloo, I assume he's talking about fighting like pedophiles or like fascist governments that Get are like... Get him me. I'll interview this guy. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's great. <laughs> uh, we, we, um, call, we call him Nuke. He's great. Nice. Uh, okay. Um, the second one with uh, race issues. Ethnostate. Yay or nay? <laughs> Do I have to just say one or the other? I, I don't, okay. Uh, white at this date. <laughs> yeah or nay? Let's start with that. <laughs> nay. <laughs> okay. Um, that, that's that's the end of my uh, rapid fire tangent segment. <laughs> just those two? You needed to clarify my opinions <laughs> on both those things? Uh, yeah, just your your, your thoughts towards uh, Boogaloo and at those dates. Um, that's, that's very important for, you know, the... Well, those are both, you know, exaggerations. Those are both uh, uh, possible, possible, um, you know, dystopian futures of, or not necessarily dystopian, possible exaggerations of futures of the world li we're living in right now. Let um, me say something that is not uh, very well liked, but is unfortunately true. Um, I think that the less you have to disagree about, the less chance you have of hating each other. However, in that same scenario, you will find even stupider things to hate each other for. So, when so you look more at more like and more more united now than ever. <laughs> yes, we are we are one nation under God, whatever God you go. say it is. Um, <laughs> I think like countries like uh, Norway or uh, Japan or even North Korea, they they have one less thing to argue about. And the thing is, you can't really regulate that into you can't like mandate only this can live here. It's just impossible. And if you do, good luck, because it's a bad idea. It's a really, <laughs> really bad idea. You just got to let anybody live there and you got to deal with it. That's yeah, what I think I, about I like, I like America. Um, uh, okay. Yeah, like I said, uh, I think off air. Uh, I like finding people that hate things that I like more than I like finding people that like things that I also like, because I like the difference. I like hearing why they hate this thing that I like, because I would never think in the same way their brain is telling them to say, I hate this. So I want to know more about that. I think you'd also brought up you, you like talking to people who like things you don't like and effectively just the, the, the inverse and hearing yeah. opinions that you don't, um, necessarily understand or or that you don't come to immediately yourself yeah it's why i like traveling so much is because you get to see things you never would before and uh I, I, that's the thing but i have to globalists. ask <laughs> i gotta ask a white supremacist like what are you gonna do like when you get bored of white people like well what's next uh this white person is slightly better than this white person like it's a never-ending slope in either direction so there you okay. go yeah that's that's a very good commentary on that um okay uh i, I do have a couple more um uh a couple more questions to to address uh before we conclude and firstly that's what are your opinions um on the the uh so, so some people have the opinion today that we are in kind of a a uh pseudo or 
the the introduction of a second cold war because uh, there there is some military arms race and some kind of building of uh building up of both um america and russia and china and um what, what is your do you have any uh thoughts on that do you disagree agree that that's happening do you how do you think it will compare in parallel or do you think it compares at all in parallel to the first cold war I don't think we'll ever reach the same Cold War that we had before. In fact, I think it's much more likely that um, we will never get that close again. And if we do get that close again, it's because somebody needs money. I, I think, like I said earlier, all wars are proxy wars now. Like, it's not profitable to declare war. Uh, so I don't get worried about, like, doomsday or apocalypses because the thing... <laughs> The thing that matters most to people in power is to have people underneath them. And if you remove that, then what's next? Like, you need to have countries. You need to have communities and nations. That that system is too profitable and too comfortable for the people that want to climb up it. And, uh, yeah, I just think... I don't think we'll ever have another world war. And if we do, it's because somebody was a huge, huge idiot and they nuked someone. Uh, I think that's what it would take for another war to substantially break out is for a small nuclear weapon to go off because otherwise it's just, I shot a missile. I shot another missile. Yeah. I think, I think we uh, learned an important lesson in the last two weeks that, Oh, Iran, we, we uh, assassinated Iran's uh, uh, general. They, shot some missiles at like some empty uh military bases and um or buildings in uh iraq and um now it's kind of settled down or like we don't really care anymore so yeah i think you're right that it's not going to escalate unless there's something major like a, a nuclear weapon going off killing bunches of people uh just some some big uh subversion of expectations to that extent mm-hmm. um and so, so in the Watchmen, World War Three did not happen. Everyone kept building up. There was the doomsday clock that counted down minute by minute, chapter by chapter, towards midnight, towards nuclear apocalypse and World War Three. But it didn't happen. What do you think in in our current world? What do you think is going to happen instead of a World War Three? Instead of uh, whether um, whether we're building up towards a Boogaloo or a World War Three with uh, <laughs> China and Russia or with uh, you know start out some conflict with a smaller country like country like iran where do you but not but actually world world war three not actually happening what do you think we're going to build up to or what do you think is going to happen uh instead of that um i think like if we're talking long long term i think eventually china owns everything um i don't know how long that'll take but i think they have a system nailed down almost immaculately that they'll just defeat everybody. I don't know how long it'll take again, but I think that they they have the people and they have the culture and the mindset ingrained in enough of them, and they have the money and the means of production, and they don't give a crap about rights at all, that I think eventually <laughs> you put all those ingredients together and they'll eventually win. I don't think they're going to go full nuclear, but... It'll just be a gradual, like, pulse outside. and Like, uh, you look in Africa, like, how they're just buying up tons and tons of land just slowly. It's it's crazy. I think China will eventually win. Wait, tell tell I, me more about that. I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not familiar with that. 
Um, so this is going to be a very abbreviated version, but that's fine. Basically, what happens is there are areas in Africa where people would like to improve upon their land and uh, like get more resources or means of production or just even like community-based uh, infrastructure. And then, well, that costs a lot of money that they may not necessarily have. China goes, hey, uh, we'll give you a loan. Here's the terms and the agreement of the loan. Um, just pay it back over time like this. And Africa goes, okay, yeah, we'll do that. And then eventually China will go, all right, uh, we're increasing the uh, interest by this amount. And it's an insane number. And Africa's like, well, we can't pay for that. And they're like, well, it is ours, so... You don't have a legal system to stop us, or you don't have that that uh, you know the authority to stop us. And then they eventually just take it, and it's theirs. And then you go to the okay. next plot of land, and they're like, "Well, we would like to improve this." And China's like, "Hey, how about a? Uh, you want some? Uh, you want some money? We'll give you another loan." And then it just kind of keeps happening over and over. Um, so that's a very truncated version of that very complicated and unfortunate situation in Africa. No, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, and ultimately what I'm hearing to, to put words in your mouth is, uh, that the key to, uh, the key to bringing Africa up to the status of first, uh, all of Africa up to the status of, uh, first world nations, as well as the key to unifying the world is seizing the means of production. Is, is that, is that what you're saying? Uh, look, I don't know if you know this, but, Wakanda is actually a Chinese settlement in Africa. <laughs> so, uh, colonization is back, and it is uh, <laughs> maybe maybe that's why China likes Marvel movie, Marvel movies so much. I wonder what they thought of Black Panda, not Black Panda, Black Panda. Black Panther. Excuse me, Black Panda. Uh, There's that Freudian oh slip of me. Ah, <laughs> uh, the ultimate Chinese movie, Black Panda. Black um, Panda. Uh, I, I want to say I heard they didn't like it because they're racist, but um, I was I was just gonna say that is that um all the posters for Black Panther they put the mask on him so you can't see his face. Yeah, they they they're... just showed like Martin uh Martin Freeman and like yeah. the other uh, Andy Serkis like the two white guys in the movie on the poster something something like yeah. that. The token <laughs> white guys. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, they uh I don't think much unfortunately. I never saw it. My parents liked it a lot though. I, I still haven't seen it either. Um okay, and let's let's uh let's conclude with uh let's con- conclude with a conclusion. You uh from what you were telling me the other day, you do not approve, you do not like the ending of the Watchmen in the movie. Now, I guess as a as a brief uh um brief precursor, the the movie ends where uh, Vite has some nuclear explosions across major cities uh, across the whole world. So there's like Hong Kong and Beijing and New York and London or something, something, something. And sure. um, they it's nuclear explosions in the, the style of power or whatever of uh, Dr. Manhattan. So he frames Dr. Manhattan for uh, being this, this uh, um, Old Testament god who's wrathful upon the world and then everyone has to behave and be nice and peaceful after that. Um, that's my summary of it. Uh, so it's it's similar effect, but kind of quite different from the ending in the comics. What are your thoughts on it? Uh, and from what I understand, you do not approve of it. I just think it's less interesting to use Dr. Manhattan as the thing that stops all the conflict. Um, for one, as far as they know, Dr. Manhattan is literally God. 
and there is no way to defeat this god like at all and if dr manhattan were to do that there's no point in banding together like they've they're gonna have to bend the knee and then when dr manhattan just like leaves it's like huh well okay well i'm just gonna we're gonna keep fighting whereas the idea of there's this alien from another dimension uh it it died shortly after landing but it killed a lot of people like what does that mean like where is that coming from we have to develop this technology to figure out how to go to the universe where the alien is from we know nothing about it it's so foreign and dr manhattan is gone how do we fight this like how do we combat this so i like that ending a bit more than i do like the dr manhattan ending okay and i i think uh the mystery of it adds quite a bit to where they don't know what this alien threat is. And to yeah. uh, again reference uh, Old Testament God, it's kind of like the experience with Old Testament God, where like you communicate with him through burning bushes and various ran- and angels and various random signs, and it is very uh, esoteric and uh, ritualistic, and it's not understood. Yeah, yeah, even yeah. Um, and it, no no one understands what's going on. There's just this higher entity out there and you have to band together uh, in some way to where you can either protect yourselves or appease it or something. But Dr. Manhattan, being the enemy, being the, the wrathful god, is not necessarily that. They, they know him. They know his sensibilities. They, they have a face there on him. And uh, rather than having this Lovecraftian horror, uh, giant oct- psychic octopus beast be the, uh, the face of evil and not know what's actually behind that, you know, you just have this blue guy face. Yeah, um, and another thing is <laughs> Dr. Manhattan being the villain, kind of, it also makes it an American villain. So <laughs> it's not good for America having Dr. Manhattan just blow everybody up. Everybody will go, well, first of all, America, I can't believe you let this happen. We'll get rid of you, and then we'll deal with Dr. Manhattan if we even can, so... Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, I was just gonna say, like, I wish they had gone the full squid route in the movie. Yeah, really. Uh, you know, they they had to take their um creative changes, their creative uh, liberties with making a film adaptation. Um, and it wasn't yeah. perfect. Yeah, but that's gonna happen. I mean, the book is already so well made. Like, like I said, if you get the chance. Look at so many different two-page like spreads where you can see so much symmetry. It just looks it's a very great looking book. Yeah, I'll skim through that. Uh skim through that later, skim through that tomorrow. Um and let's let's uh bring it to a close with a quote from the book. God is real and he is American. Uh, thank <laughs> you for <laughs> Wait, that was the quote, right? I, I didn't mess it up. Uh yeah, so um <laughs> they're interviewing like John Osterman's best friend and they get the quote yeah. wrong at first. They're like, yeah, they call me God, God is Superman real, whatever. And he's American. And I think they later said God is real and he is human or something. No, I think, uh, I think the misquote was a, uh, the Superman is real and he is American. Oh, okay. That's that right. It. You're right. And then, yes. then he goes to some talk show and explains himself. No, it's God is real. Um, et cetera, et cetera. He's like, if that makes you uncomfortable, that's okay. It's supposed to. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, so oh, thank man. you very much, Kevin, for coming on. Thank you for talking about the Watchmen with me and how it applies to our current and future socio-political environment. Uh, of course. Any final words? 
Um, you know, just want to say, give fan fiction a chance. So if you, there's some IP of yours out there that you really like, and they've made a spinoff comic or TV show, uh, even though it's not the same, try it out. I mean, shoot, there's so many different spinoff Batman and Superman and all other comics. Uh, I wouldn't say the TV show is great, and I can't speak to the comics for Doomsday, but uh, try it out. Even if they get it wrong, it's interesting to see why they got it wrong or why it doesn't capture it in the same way. So, yeah. yeah I'm, just... I'm, I'm interested in the HBO series because of how you framed it, because you framed it as them uh, trying to find another uh, wholly, un wholly uniting issue to talk about an issue to have commentary on and that being racism and i think that's fascinating to look at and look at through that lens so that's why i'm gonna go check it out there's a very good episode in it um uh so i think it's episode five and what happens is you get to see the perspective of someone that survives the squid attack and how that affects him growing up throughout his life and how that shapes his worldview and there's a lot of things in the show that you wouldn't think about like that they have to deal with, like they have to think about, uh, <laughs> there's a security system you can buy in the show. I call it extraterrestrial house security. that like protects you <laughs> from aliens. It's all sorts of like the little things like that are really fascinating. It's the overall plot that loses me. Okay. Uh, that sounds like, you know, as good of endorse, as good of, uh, of endorsement as any, right? No, sure. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would say it barely passes because it sustained my attention throughout the show, but not necessarily for the reason they were hoping. It was more of a morbid curiosity. And if you're listening to this and don't have a morbid curiosity for what happens in Watchmen on HBO, then uh, I don't know, whatever. Go live your plain, boring, non-morbid curiosity <laughs> life. Uh, uh, thank, you thank you everyone for listening. Thank you again, Kevin, for coming on. Hey, no problem, man. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, and have a good night. Beep, 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 boop.